the App Guy podcast. Straight from your host, Paul, the App Guy. Sharing his app entrepreneur journey with you for your enjoyment. The App Guy Podcast. And now, Paul, the App Guy. Yes, welcome to another episode of the App Guy Podcast. I am Paul Kemp, I'm your host, and it's my job to take you on a journey tonight. A journey which means that we have a guest that we interview and have a chat about um, his journey. Let me introduce uh, Ryan Delk. Uh, Ryan is the at Gumroad when it first started. He's the head of growth at Gumroad and was around in very early days. But, you know, interestingly, Ryan has worked for Square before um, before he joined Gumroad. And, you know, the most amazing thing, yeah, we'll, we'll get this into this a little bit further on, is that Ryan had a rather tragic uh, break-in last night to the office and had um, almost everything stolen. And yet here we are on a podcast um, from Dubai to San Francisco and the show is going on. So Ryan, I really appreciate you joining us in such um, you know, difficult circumstances. Welcome to the App Guy podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Paul. It's okay. And uh, it's great that you've got a backup as well. The fact that you just carry around in your backpack, you know, mics and uh, various <laughs> other things. So. <laughs> Um, Ryan, I'd love to start with, you know, bringing the podcast listeners in, in, into your journey and, you know, we'd, we'd really love to hear uh, how you got into uh, Square and then how you eventually uh, found your way at the very early stages of Gumroad and tell us a bit about Gumroad as well. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I went to the University of Florida uh, in Gainesville, Florida, and um, was always sort of interested in technology and did a couple different internships um, and a diff- bunch sort of a variety of different uh, spaces fringely related uh, to the startup world. Um, I did some stuff in East Africa, working with emerging tech entrepreneurs, uh, ended up helping out with a, a seed stage investment fund that we raised to invest in a lot of the cool startups that were coming out of East Africa sort of based in Nairobi, but all over uh, the sub-Saharan African region. And then when I got back from that, I uh, started getting involved in Square. I was working sort of part-time remotely from them, from school, uh, working on a couple of different projects. Really enjoyed that. Uh, thought that I would probably uh, you know, work for them after I graduated. And then met Sahil, uh, who's the founder of Gumroad, um, I guess my junior year of school. And he had just left Pinterest, uh, was starting Gumroad. I think was in the process of raising some money or had just raised the initial round of funding for it. And we met and um, we hit it off and he sort of gave me the, the vision for what he was trying to build. I was really, really excited about it. Um, so that was, I guess, almost two years ago now. Um, and so, yeah, it's been, it's been quite, a, quite a, really, a really fun journey. Uh, we started sort of very focused. Uh, Gumroad was very focused on the independent creator uh, and still is very focused on the independent creator. And for anyone who's not familiar with Gumroad, we're a digital commerce platform. So we allow creators to sell the things they make directly to their audience. And since we launched about two years ago, we've now worked with um, thousands of independent authors, filmmakers, artists, um, you know, people that are designing games, designing apps, uh, selling all these things through Gumroad, as well as a lot of really well-known creators, uh, people like Coldplay and Bon Jovi and Justin Bieber and 
those types of artists um, that have massive audiences that use us to sell directly to their audience. So it's been really, really exciting so far. We feel like we're still at the tip of the iceberg and have a long way to go. Um, but our goal really is to allow people with an audience who are creating cool content to sell directly to their audience without having a middleman in between. Uh, and that's what we're really excited about. Now, we would love you to get rid of the middleman called Apple. Because, <laughs> uh, uh, as app developers, you know, we do put our content on uh, the App Store and, and Apple takes 30% of, of those profits immediately and force us into in-app purchases and, and take 30% of, of everything that we do. What really inspired Gumroad? Yeah, sort of the premise that Gumroad is based on is that the, the economics and the marketplaces that are available to creators were sort of broken. And you know, there's two main, two or three main problems. Either it was really, really expensive to get you know, set up and selling. And this is the case with Apple and Amazon and a lot of places where 30, 40, 50%, sometimes 60 or 70% of your revenue is immediately gone and taken by the platform. Um, and then in other cases, it's just really, really difficult to get set up. So it may take you know, weeks or even months to get your content actually up into a place where it can be purchased. And then the third piece that's actually really, really important that a lot of people don't think about is access to the data around these sales that are happening, around the you know, people that are buying your content, who's buying it, where are they coming from, all that stuff is very, very valuable. And in the existing ecosystem, sort of pre-Gumroad, most of the marketplaces and the, the places that people went to sell content kept all that data for themselves. So the creator would never be able to see who's buying their content. You know, the platform would keep that data and then they would use that data for marketing purposes for their own internal goals. Um, and so our goal was really to sort of turn all that on, on its head and give people who are creators, who have an audience, uh, or even who don't have an audience and are building an audience, a way to sell the things that they make directly to their audience. And through Gumroad, they keep 95% of the revenue. They can get set up in a matter of minutes, and they own and you know are able to get incredible insights into all the data around those transactions from where their audience is coming from and, and all that. Yeah, yeah, I would say that in one of my previous episodes, uh, it's actually episode six, I interviewed an author, a famous author called Erica Sadoon, and she created a book called Pitch Perfect. And we were in that discussion, if anyone hasn't heard that, you know, go back and listen to it because it, it goes through the plight of a, an author and dealing with the, the, the big powerhouses that are publishers. And especially in the tech world uh, and in the app world, um, authors have to wait an incredibly long time <laughs> to get their books published. And in the fast moving world of tech, that's just the worst thing that can ever happen because you write a book on, um, I think there was another podcast where Jack Nutting uh, had written a book on iOS, uh, one of the versions, and then he, it, it took literally almost the entire time to get that you know, launched. And, and then a new iOS came out, <laughs> so it was a bit bad timing there. Exactly. So um, the, the speed to market there sounds really fascinating. And um, you know, as an app developer, as an app guy, how could we benefit from Gumroad? What what stories do you have from people creating software or you know apps that are trying to make it and, and get some money there on Gumroad? Yeah. So I mean, there's obvious barriers in terms of iOS apps being sold on Gumroad. Uh, you know, just because of the way that Apple structured things. But we actually have a very, very robust community of app developers, app designers, people that are involved within the iOS and Android communities that sell content on Gumroad. And so we have several authors who have written books, for example, about how to design iOS apps, uh, how to market iOS apps, how to figure out, you know, what type of problems you should be solving uh, when developing an app, uh, and all these books and resources and courses around this. 
And we've seen that they've had a lot of success uh, selling this type of content to their audience. And then, of course, you know, with Mac apps and desktop apps, you, there's a lot more freedom in terms of how you distribute that. So we've seen a lot of success as well with people that are selling, uh, you know, Mac apps, desktop apps, and even some Android apps uh, through Gumroad. And they're able to distribute these apps directly to their audience, keep 95% of the revenue, uh, handle updates and all that stuff really, really seamlessly. So those are sort of the two main ways that we generally work with the app community. So if you're listening to this and you're an app developer, then you know, another source of income uh, as opposed to just revenue from your app is the fact that you can write about something that your app does or you know, some technical problem that it overcomes and write a book and, and create that, self-publish it, and, and then also go to Gumroad and make money through, their, through the platform. So that sounds really um, like an interesting way of going about uh, getting, getting additional revenue streams from the things that we do. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me about the founder of Gumroad, because when you said he came from Pinterest, um, tell us a bit about his story, because that's amazing, jumping from Pinterest that had this huge hockey stick growth and then goes and sets up Gumroad, another fascinating uh, platform and a solution. Was the, he the founder of Pinterest as well? He was one of the... One of the really early engineers, I think he was like the first engineer, first or second engineer um, and designer there. So he designed a lot of the original uh, iOS app and the web app and all that. Um, it was really early days of Pinterest when they, you know, when he was there, it was just, a, you know, a couple thousand users. There was not, you know, it wasn't this massive thing that it is today. Um, so it was very, very early on. And one of the things that actually made me uh, really, really excited about joining Gumroad was the fact that he was he could sort of see where Pinterest was going, and he knew that it was a, it was taking off and it was going to be massive, and he was willing to leave that uh, and join Gum and start Gumroad. And so, to you know, as someone who's looking at a company from the outside, that's a huge signal uh, that that the founder really, really believes in what they're doing, uh, and it's a signal to employees, it's a signal to investors, it's a signal to the market, um, and so it makes you know recruiting and a lot of things much easier when you can say, you know, I believe in this so much that I left this company that was you know, doing very well, was going to continue to do very well, that I was heavily incentivized to stay at because I think Gumroad is an even better opportunity. Um, and so as we were talking the first time, I, I remember talking about that a lot because there was, that was a huge thing for me where I realized, you know, Saha really thinks this can be massive. And that was huge in persuading me that, you know, and obviously now I agree with that, uh, but initially persuading me that really this could be a massive company that could change, you know, the entire economic ecosystem for creators. It's interesting you talk about that because, you know, it sounds like there's something more than uh, life than, than actually money. And the fact that, you know, that you're being disruptive to an industry and, and doing something that's giving back. I mean, the 95% uh, profits to the creators is an enormous um, gesture towards what you're trying to do with Gumroad. And Square, you got involved in Square as well. How did you fall into Square? Yeah, so I, uh, they were launching a program to, to basically find college students around uh, America that were interested in Square, that were excited about what they're doing. Um, and I think I had reached out to them earlier and I just reached out to a few people on the growth team and just said, you know, what, what do you guys have going on? How can I help? You know, I'm at the University of Florida. I'd love to be involved. Um, and so I was able to help with them sort of launching that program and figuring out what would work and what wouldn't. Um, so that was really fun, really exciting. And I, I really thought that I would probably work at Square after I graduated. That was sort of my dream. Um, and I, I mean, I'm still hugely bullish on Square. I think they're an incredible company. I think that what they're doing for the payment space is very, very similar 
part, you know, sort of the, the real world payment space is very similar to what we're doing for the web. Uh, when you think about, you know, creators being able to really, really easily accept payments for the things that they make, Square makes that really simple in the real world. And they allow you to, you know, basically anyone with an iPhone, Android, or an iPad can start selling whatever they're making. And it's, it could be farmer's markets, it could be a coffee shop, it could be a clothing store. And so sort of that very lightweight nature and the ability to very quickly deploy a solution where you can, you know, begin to accept funds for things that you've made and, you know, make a livelihood uh, is really, really exciting. And I think that especially now that they're starting to hit very large scale doing deals with Starbucks and other huge companies, they just did a deal with Whole Foods. Um, you know, I think they're just going to be, a, they're already a very large company, but they're going to be massive, especially when you think about all the growth they still have ahead of them in terms of Europe and, you know, the Middle East and all these other regions that they're not even in at all right now. Uh, I would love them to come out of America and, and really focus on the rest of the world because this problem with paying is it's just a real pain in the backside, you know. I mean, I, uh, in my day-to-day -day life over here, um, the amount of times that we can't actually, I can't buy the thing because the, the, um, the business owner doesn't have any change. Oh, it's just so frustrating. Exactly. I would love Square to really start globalizing and taking over other parts of the world as opposed to just um, the US. Absolutely. I think it'll happen. I mean, I'm sure it's stuff they're working on. They've launched in Japan and I know that international growth is a big priority for them right now. Mm. Now, you are working for such an exciting uh, company, a startup, you know, a founder that's really getting you set on fire. And, you know, a lot of people listening to this, uh, one of the reasons why they chose app development is because it is a growth area. It's um, usually something where it involves working for yourself or working for small teams, uh, growth teams, startup teams. What's it like? How does it feel working for such a dynamic startup? It's really exciting. I mean, I think that regardless of the type of company you're working for, the size, when you're working on something, whether it's a, a particular project or the company as a whole, uh, when you're working on something that you're excited about and that you feel like is making an impact on the world, um, I think that's like, I, I think it's incredible. And I think that there's a lot of, you know, opportunities in the startup world and also in more, more traditional companies where if you can get involved in something that you feel like is making a real impact and really changing people's lives, um, I mean, that's just, it's huge. And so I think for me, the thing that's exciting is seeing people that, you know, have built great audiences online or maybe are building audiences and they have people that are excited about the content they're creating and they either start using Gumroad uh, as the first way they start selling content or they switch to Gumroad from another platform and they end up making more money, uh, able to produce more content, uh, produce more high quality content, spend more time on the content. Because if you think about it, especially people that are, uh, you know, maybe doing this as a part-time job as an author or, you know, spending their time at night developing a film, if you can help them make 25 or 30 percent more uh, from every dollar that they make on the, the content they're producing, that makes a big difference. And so, when you think about, you know, over the course of a year, helping someone make 20 or 30 or 40 thousand dollars more, that could be the difference between them, you know, doing this as a part-time thing or being able to devote their lives to what they love. And so, you know, seeing those success stories come out where we have people that, you know, worked a day job and didn't really enjoy it, wanted to be an author, and then decided to take the plunge and have now made hundreds of thousands of dollars selling these really amazing, um, you know, books or films or courses or whatever it is. Uh, to their audience is really, really exciting to me. And what did it feel like when you first watched an independent film that was uh, only, it only came to light because of Gumroad, or you read maybe your first book that was only created because of Gumroad in the fact that you're offering this platform? How did that feel to, to be in a, such a position of 
of really helping the world. Oh, it's amazing. And I, I mean, everyone at Gumroad, myself included, is is creative and we're all people that enjoy um, you know, art and things that people are creating in various forms, whether it's music or whether it's film or whether it's books. And so when you have you know, a culture and a company culture that's really centered around this, we have this document that we call Must Consumes. Uh, that Sahel, our CEO, puts together. And it's basically things that, uh, of a ton of different media types, books, films, music, and it's things that if you're going to work at Gumroad, you have to consume. And I don't know if everyone's, you know, actually done all of them, but uh, it's this collection of really great movies and really great books and all this stuff. And so when you think about, um, you know, when everyone is sort of naturally inclined to enjoy these things, and then you see that similar level of content coming out through the platform, um, especially in the early days when, you know, we first started seeing the few success stories, it's really, really exciting. And then when you see and, and you realize like, oh, wow, this is actually really cool. This is actually a really good, you know, book, a really good film. Uh, it's just exhilarating. I mean, I'm watching House of Cards on Netflix, which was uh, funded completely through Netflix. And, it was, um, and it's just so lovely to see, you know, something that's actually so entertaining that was, um, you know, created differently and uh, not, not going through the usual channels. Hey, did, um, you mentioned Coldplay in our um, pre-chat. Uh, did you meet Coldplay? Uh, I've not met Coldplay, but we worked with their team on a couple different things. But they're, they're on your platform and, and they're selling uh, music uh, through Gumroad. Uh, they actually sold a bunch of artwork uh, that they did for uh, basically like a lot of the artwork that they had around the Milo Zoloto tour. They sold for Kids Company, which is a charity in the UK, um, and they sold all that through Gumroad Online. Any podcasters uh, selling um, podcast series? I mean, we're getting an audience now that's 10,000 downloads per month and growing, and um, I, I wondered if uh, podcasting is something that will eventually come to Gumroad. Yeah, we see a lot of that. Um, you know, some podcasters are monetizing the podcast themselves, you know, offering things like a season pass or a collection of a bunch of different podcasts, uh, either for, you know, a, a fee like 5 or $10 or for something like a pay what you want, where you can pay anything you want to download all the podcasts and support the podcast if you choose. And then we also have a, a large audience of people that sort of, uh, monetize things that are tangentially related to the podcast. So maybe you get um, you know, a book on how to start a podcast, or maybe it's additional resources that are targeted at people who enjoy the podcast series, things like that. Um, this is something guys like Pat Flynn do really well. I don't know if you know him. Um, yeah, he's a big one in yeah, the industry. So, and his podcast, uh, he, I think he's launched a new podcast where he answers questions just for 15 yeah. minutes, and that already has 200,000 downloads. So yeah, he's a really big... Uh, Lovely yeah, guy. so he does this really well where he, you know, he has his, you know, podcast that he obviously is free and anyone can download. But then he has a lot of other content around that that he sells that's really valuable to his audience. So books on how to start a podcast, uh, you know, other things that could be valuable. It's just such a great um, feeling talking to you and, and the fact that you're helping all these creators and being a creator myself of apps and, uh, you know, of this podcast series is it's just great when you've got platforms that are coming in and really going on your side and, and being helpful because sometimes, you know, as app developers, we do feel the world is against us with um, constant changes to the, fact, the way, the rules that we have to um, abide by, um, the fact that we run the risk of our apps being rejected because of some s stupid little uh, piece of, um, you know, coding that the, the big powerhouses don't like. And, and, and I've always thought that with... Um, power and with um, you know market share it, it kind of can lead to some companies maybe doing the wrong things now and again and we're, we're still reliant on the, the likes of apple and, and google play and, and just you know be it's just good to see a company come along and be so 
you know, open with its creators and realize that, hey, you know, you guys are the stuff that's create. You, you are the ones that are creating all this content, you know, the, the profit should actually go mostly to you. Um, let's just talk a little bit about your own app experience. What I tend to like to ask guests is, uh, what, what phone do you carry? I have a iPhone 5 right now. Great. And what um, are your favorite apps that you tend to use in your day-to-day -day life? Um, Go look. grab your phone, have a look at yeah. that. I'll look at my home screen. Um, so the apps that I use a lot and that I love, I'll talk more about apps that I'm really excited about. Um, Human is a new app, H-U-M-I-N. Uh, um, and they basically, it's sort of reimagining what the contacts experience should look like. And uh, I love that app, basically. It's in beta right now. Um, I'm not sure when it's going to hit the app store, but they are really taking a fresh approach on, you know, how right now you're basically your contacts and your calendar are very separate and you lose a lot of contact. You lose a lot of the context around different people, um, you know, that you've met in certain places. And so they basically bring in all your network connections from Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and email and in your address book. Uh, Facebook protos where you met people and they allow you to do a lot of really intelligent searches. So you can just say, uh, for example, I can search so many people that I met in San Francisco or show me people that I met at Mobile World Congress or South by Southwest. And you can see all those people and it all, the search is just a really, really beautiful user experience. Um, so I use that a lot and I'm really excited about that. Uh, I use Mailbox for all my email, um, which I love and I'm a huge advocate for Mailbox. It makes it super simple to get through email really quickly. Um, yeah, I love that one. It's so good. The one where you, you swipe to um, bring it to another day. You could, you could delay it or you could put it into a box. Yeah, and I exactly. I think they were uh, bought by uh, Dropbox a year ago and they're starting to yep. integrate much more into Dropbox, which is great. Yeah. Um, and then I, I use uh, an app called Circa a lot. Um, which is done by a guy named Matt Galligan and his team. Uh, it's a news app that basically they have a, a group of editors and curators that essentially uh, find interesting stories and then distill them down to only the bits that you really need to know. So it's easy to consume relevant news content to your interests, but in a really quick way. And then you can follow stories. So if you if something breaking news happens and you want to get updates, you can just click follow and then they'll send you push notifications. Um, yeah, yeah I, I like Circa. I downloaded it because um, one of the investors behind Circa, a guy called uh, Jason Kalkanis, who does a wonderful yep. podcast called uh, This Week in Startups, I think he was one of the founding angel investors of that. And, uh, yeah, I just like the fact that news feeds can come in and, and almost you can manipulate them based on your own interests and, and what you've liked on, on Facebook and, and the stuff that you're doing on Twitter. And it all incorporates into a nice app where you get you know your news feed. I mean... I bet you've not looked at a newspaper for, for years now. No, definitely not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I did get a lot of news from these apps. Um, are there any others? Uh, Tweetbot. I use Tweetbot for, um, instead of the Twitter iOS app, uh, I love the Tweetbot guys. I think that they've been by far and away for a long time the best Twitter client. So I use, I use that a lot. I love um, that one. Guys, I've only just recently started using Tweetbot. I've been using the native uh, client for, for ages and um, I, about a month ago I started using Tweetbot and it's changed my Twitter experience completely you know oh, it's it's amazing and the fact is that you can you can mute um, uh, certain people if they're getting very spammy you could um, you, and, uh, there is the ability to go into Tweetbot and 
um, refuse any tweets that are from these uh, auto-generated uh, platforms. And uh, that has just cleared up a load of junk that I was getting, you know, from these these services where they buffer the, the tweets and send out, you know, just advertisements. And uh, yeah, beautiful, uh, beautiful app. Yeah, I love it. Um, and the last one that's on my home screen that I use a lot is Clear, which is a to-do list app. Um, really quick and easy to use. I really like the UI a lot. Um, just really simple to, you know, be able to add to-do list items and then categorize them and, you know, swipe back and forth when you don't need to look at them anymore. Wonderful. And the, moving on to the, the final thing, which I think people listening to this may be thinking about San Francisco. You know, I've only visited San Francisco, I think, twice in my life. And it, what's it like to live in San Francisco, you know, as a tech person? It's exciting. I mean... I think there's really cool innovation happening all over the world and, you know, especially in a lot of markets that people don't realize, but it's true that San Francisco is probably the highest density of, you know, really smart people working on, you know, hard problems, which I think is why you see a lot of, you know, the big success stories coming out of here. Uh, that being said, I think that, you know, there's also a lot of people working on problems that probably don't need to be solved uh, or aren't really, you know, making the world that much of a better place. But uh, it's exciting to be in a place where, you know, you have a really, really high concentration of smart people who, you know, are spending their time trying to build, uh, you know, platforms or applications or whatever that, you know, have a good shot at, at impacting the lives of millions or even billions of people, um, you know, in Facebook and in a lot of other companies that are going to happen in the next few years where literally billions of people are using the platform. Um, and I think that's really, really exciting. Now, are you getting bricks thrown at you when you get onto your Gumroad bus or however you get to work? Is there, you know, this growing tension within the city that we read about in, uh, you know, the traditional media? They're saying that there's this real warfare in San Francisco and this is kind of, um, I, I guess, aggression towards the tech, uh, the Silicon Valley and the tech guys because of the amount of money and distortion that that's creating and then the rising rents and stuff. Is that, is that really happening in San Francisco? Can you see a tension? Yeah, I think it's probably over-exaggerated a bit in the media. Um, you know, I mean, I, I hear about it from time to time and I have friends that have experienced it. Um, I think most of the, I think most of the aggression is probably not being directed where it should be. Um, especially when you, when you hear stories about, you know, people either attacking or sort of trying to go after employees of certain companies like this, you know, that's just not the way to try to get any meaningful change to happen. Uh, you know, it is very expensive to live in San Francisco. Rent is incredibly high. It's one of the highest cities in the U.S., maybe higher than New York now. I haven't looked at the recent numbers. Um, so, yeah, it's really it's really expensive to live here. There's a very high demand for housing. Um, so in some ways, it's, you know, it's true that it's very expensive to live here. And that is a direct factor of the tech industry. But, um, you know, what a lot of people forget is that there's a lot of benefits, uh, you know, to having the tech industry here in terms of tax revenue, in terms of jobs being created. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, everyone who lives in San Francisco is benefiting from um, that, of course, go along with all the things that people don't like, like high rent and, you know, high cost of living and all that. It's quite expensive here in Dubai as well, I'm finding out. I think... Uh... Per month, we're paying for a two-bed apartment uh, somewhere in the region of what is uh, two thousand five hundred pounds, so roughly about four thousand um, dollars, which you know, I'm sure is probably on a par with San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, so the, the, the break into the office, um, you, you had like a load of stuff stolen. That's really bad. Does that happen often? 
No, so it doesn't happen often. Um, I, I, we don't know exactly what happened, but um, I think it was someone just trying to, you know, to take advantage of a situation and, um, you know, try to make some quick money. And, you know, unfortunately, they were able to get away with it. But we've taken a lot more precautions now, so I think I think we'll be good in the future. Well, hopefully, um, you'll, you'll think about having an iPhone 5S, and so they then. Uh, I mean, we had all these stories about iPhones being stolen in San Francisco, and. That's partly why the fingerprint was put onto uh, the iPhone 5S. Yeah. I, um, I believe that um, the, the people stealing these things were just like running up to you in the street and just grabbing them and running off and uh, then turning the phone off immediately so the uh, find the iPhone doesn't work. Right. And then, um, then, then jailbreaking it or whatever. Um, has that sort of slowed down with the, um, the fingerprint? on iPhone 5S's? Are those stories of, of, of people stealing iPhones, have, have they reduced? I don't know. Uh, I haven't seen any statistics on that. I mean, it's, it would seem to make sense, you know, because it's harder to get into the phone. And then also, even if Apple isn't going to do anything about it, you know, there's this idea that they would have your fingerprint data. Um, so I don't, I don't know if it's gone down at all or not. I know iPhone theft is still a huge problem in San Francisco, you know, in certain parts. Um, but I don't know if it's, if it's gone down at all with the 5S. So the... Final thing, and uh, we'll then let you go, is that uh, I wondered, you know, you're someone who is clearly, you could see the future. You know, you work for these great companies, Square, Gumroad, and Changing the World. Do you have any ideas as you go your day-to-day life, any ideas for apps that you've been thinking about that you can share with our audience so then we can steal your ideas and <laughs> put them on the app store? Yeah. any... I think that the the trend that I'm really excited about is the idea of your phone becoming a remote control for the real world. Um, so I think you know the idea of companies like Ship, which is an idea that I've been thinking about for a long time, and then they they did it and they're executing amazingly, which is I'm super happy about. Where you you know if you have something that you need to send to someone, uh, you know you just open up your phone, enter your address, take a picture of the item. And in about 12 minutes, someone will show up at your door and they'll pick up the item, pack it for you, uh, you know, take it to the post office, um, and they don't charge you anything above the standard fees that you get uh, that you would charge, you know, be charged from USPS or UPS. Um, and you know, companies like that, I think, are you know, incredible. Um, I think that you know, anything that takes the real world and allows you to control it with your, with your phone, and, and Uber is a great example of this too, um, I think those, that's where the billion-dollar companies are going to be built over the next three to five years. And I think Uber is way ahead of the curve on this. And you know, especially when you think about industries like the taxi industry uh, that Uber is able to take on. And then eventually, you know, Uber is going to be doing, I'm sure, deliveries. And they have this, all this incredible infrastructure for cities. And they basically trained consumers that you, know, you can pull out your phone and you can get someone to, to do something, to show up with a car, to in the future probably deliver your groceries, pick up things for you. Um, with your phone, and that's a, it's, once you sort of train consumers to do that, there's a lot of opportunities you have. Um, so a lot of things that I, I think about are probably related to that in some ways. You know, other services and other things that people do all the time that you know you could create a network where you know with your phone you could just you know either summon someone to do that or um, you know request someone to do that. Um, or probably that's that's the trend that I'm most excited about. Right, we're getting towards the end of the podcast uh, interview. I'm, I'm really appreciative of you spending your time. We've gone through, you know, that, what it's like to work at Gumroad and Square and, and all the interesting apps that you have. Uh, is there any other things um, for app developers that you feel you would?
would like to share with us? Anything we've missed in this, this discussion? Let me think. I don't think so. I mean, there's a lot of really, um, I'll recommend a book. Uh, Nathan Barry, uh, one of my good friends, he has a book called The App Design Handbook um, that he actually just re-released for iOS 7. Uh, and maybe he might be a good guest for a future podcast. Um, and he, he's a really great author, a really, really great teacher. Um, and he just re-released it for iOS 7. It's got a lot of really, really good insights in designing iOS apps and how to you know, build iOS apps and thinking about interface design and how design affects user experience and all those things. Um, so I would highly recommend that. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, the other things I would say is just get as many users, you know, early on in the process to give you feedback. Uh, you know, I, I get emails all the time from people who have like beta versions of their app and they want feedback and that's proven to be really, really successful for a lot of my friends who are building, you know, companies that have mobile apps as a main component because they can get a lot of people that they respect their opinions of on the app, using it, giving them feedback on, you know, the user interface and, you know, different interactions they built and all that kind of stuff. And how can we best reach out to you, Ryan? How can we connect with you? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter, um, at Delk, D-E-L-K, which is my last name. Um, and then my email is r, the letter r, at gumroad.com. So if I can ever be helpful or be a resource, feel free to email me or tweet at me. Um, I try to be you know, super accessible. So if I can ever be helpful, definitely reach out. Yeah, so there, there you go to the listeners. Um, Ryan's very um, kindly shared his email there and uh, Twitter. So go and check that out. Those uh, will be on the show notes at the end. If you go to uh, onemob.com and then click the uh, podcast uh, the button at the top, you'll get all this information when you go to Ryan's episode. So listen, Ryan, it's been great. I've really enjoyed going through this journey with you. I'm kind of a little bit jealous of the fact that I'm not living in San Francisco. I remember it with fond memories and uh, I'm going to have to get back there, I think, and uh, see, see how it's changed since the last time I went there. But uh, that just leaves me to say thank you very much for joining us as a guest on the App Guy podcast. And I really would love to um, have you further down the line when, um, you, know, when you sign, sign up uh, Pat Flynn to uh, Gumroad or <laughs> you get some uh, big app developers on there. And, but in the meantime, yeah, listen, thanks very much. Uh, appreciate you you're spending the time with us tonight. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Paul. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode. If you want to be a guest on the show or suggest someone, then please send an email to info at onemob.com. The App Guy podcast goes out every Sunday and Thursdays.